Let's take uh, any number of good players that are currently on our U.S. team. If they progress, as so many people have, from player to coach, those players that have played in Europe, they've learned the nuances of the game. And so if they get into coaching, they're going to bring a whole new set of tools to educate other American players. Yes. So there's going to be a, a, a next step in the elevation of coaching in this country. That's yes. my belief. Welcome back, everybody. We're here day two of the United Soccer Coaches Convention here on Podcast Row. Um, we have a guest today named Tim Shum. Tim Shum, right? Shum. 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 There you go. Shum. 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 Uh, Tim is a longtime coach for Binghamton University um, and has written a book named Relentless. And it's basically a collection of stories from individual coaches and the imprint that they've had on the game. So if you could give us just a brief synopsis of what this book is and how it can kind of bring value to people, coaches in particular, what well, would you say? Obviously, it's my pleasure to be here with you, fellas, and uh, promote the book. The book is, first off, it's a history. It's a history of the game as, uh, as seen through the eyes and accomplishments of uh, numerous coaches, uh, beginning all the way back in the early 1900s and continuing through the present. There's a little piece on uh, Jesse Marsh. I, don't, I wasn't able to actually interview uh, Jesse, but I was able to capture uh, his career through the eyes of his, probably his uh, coach, his mentor, Bob Bradley. So uh, in that, that sense, it's a history of the game, events that occurred there those events are are captured uh throughout the book uh and uh, through the eyes in many cases of the coaches that i'm profiling so um i think it's a resource book um that probably every coach i don't care i've sold i've sold quite a few here to friends of mine but these are guys in their 70s and 60s and so on but I think even a younger coach, and I know you fellows are involved in, uh, I guess, coaching education, uh, upgrading of coaches, and I think it's a resource book for any coach of any age because unless you appreciate the history of the game, as they say, you're going to repeat some of the mistakes that others made. So you're going to have you're going to have um, a a template, as it were, of what coaches did and what coaches were um, responsible for uh, a number of things in the game. For example, in the 1960s, a coach here in Philadelphia, Don Yonker, coached at Drexel, but he's credited with the first soccer camp, conducting the first live-in or overnight soccer camp uh, in, in and around uh, the uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania Avenue, um, uh, area. And uh, people probably don't appreciate that. And, of course, soccer camps are probably diminished in importance today. But for a while, it was an annual event for a lot of kids, and they were exposed to good coaching. And um, Don Yonker was 
among among the best. He was, uh, in my mind, uh, uh, as with all good coaches, I think good coaching is an art form, and uh, and I think Don Yonker was, if I could say so, I think he was an artist in coaching. So, I I think that's a, about it. I I want to alert people to the fact that relentless. And maybe we should just stay uh, stay on that word for a second. I captured, uh, I used that word. Uh, you know, you always, when you're writing a book, you're trying to you're trying to arrive at a catchy title. And I thought uh, relentless uh, described uh, how coaches from a lot of different eras eras uh, approached it. They did not give up. They believed in the game. They knew in their hearts that. At some point, soccer was going to arrive, and uh, so in their own little, in their own little uh, areas of influence, uh, various individuals. I selected uh, on all of the people that are profiled in the book, but <clears throat> they all had a, they all had their impact, and uh, collectively, when you add it all up, you come to the fact that. Uh, I read that 25 million people tuned in to uh, the World Cup in the United States. Uh, Soccer America did a did a book review, and uh, and uh, Mike Watola captured a little something that I shared with him. In 1974, I loaded up two buses and drove interested people to Philadelphia to view two. World Cup games in some little theater, yeah. closed circuit television, some little theater here in Philadelphia. It's 200 miles. Oh, and at other times... How many people uh, did you have for that one? Well, two buses, you added up maybe 100 people, you know. And, uh, and later on, of course, with the influence of Pele and the, the uh, uh, birth of the Cosmos, uh, we took numerous trips to the Meadowlands buses and uh, to view what I thought was a good example of, of good soccer, you know, this is how this is how the game looks when played at a high level. And uh, an interesting story: the first time we went down there, I noticed uh, that there was a pregame uh, uh, there was a pregame between two youth teams. So I figure, well, heck, I'm bringing. You know, X number of spectators. You know, I would arrange for discount tickets and so on and so forth. So I called the fellow that I dealt with, and I said, "Listen, next year, I want to have. I'll bring a youth team, and we'll play a game." Yeah. He, oh yeah, fine. He said. So we 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 arrange it, and we're on the field. Now the uh, Cosmo uh, Meadowland Stadium was art, artificial turf, and it was. It was like August or something of that sort, early August. It was warm, and the heat just emanated from the turf. It probably was 100 degrees on field. (laughs) We know how that goes. We we experience that every summer in Texas. (laughs) Yep, yep. So, in any case, I had a a young fellow, a talented kid, probably he was 10 or 11 years old, and uh, he started, he was really competitive, and he he was a good dribbler. 
and he started dribbling through the other team, you know, kind of like a slalom of a, a ski slalom, you know, in and out and back and forth. And uh, and he would arrive by the time he got to the other 18, he was pr- pretty well spent, and uh, he'd hit a little weak dribbler to the goal goalie. Well, it's 50,000 people filed in for the second half of that game. They started to notice this individual, and they would go, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, you know. And they were, they they got connected with him, you know, as, as spectators. So now it's 100 degrees, and this kid's like 10 or 11 years old, I can't tell you exactly. But I thought, he's going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to get hauled into court for uh, child abuse, you know. This kid, this kid collapses on the field. So I substituted for him. I said, Pat, come on over here. And he goes, oh, Coach, I don't want to come on. I said, Pat, you get over here, sit down on the bench. When I did that, the spectators booed. <laughs> they booed. Come on, Coach. And so, uh, you know, stories like that uh, I think are worthwhile. That isn't in the book. Actually, the individual followed by the name of Pat Price, later captain Cornell University's team. Nice. And today he's my accountant. <laughs> oh, there you go. Everything comes full circle. That's funny. Yeah, you knew that. what you were doing there. So I want to go back to you know, the title of the book, Relentless. Yes. You started to touch on it a little bit. To me, I mean, it's 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 a good word to kind of describe what you're talking about in the book from what I know about it because coaching is a relentless pursuit of personal development and excellence. So is that why you chose that word? I know you started to get onto that topic before, but yeah. what is the reason why you chose really well, that word for the book? Yeah, well, first off, if people ask me today, what's the title of the book? I only got to share one word with you. I say, go on the Internet, just enter soccer book, Relentless. It'll take you to the publisher. So it's easy to search. It's an easy search. Yeah. I did not think of that, honestly. (laughs) Okay. But I think it it works. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, again, I, I, I think it describes the psychology, the emotion, the, um, yeah, I guess I would use that word. I, I think there was a belief, maybe that's it, a, a belief of, of countless coaches, and there's only some of them that I could profile in the book, but countless coaches in various communities in that 60s, 70s, and to the present, have been have promoted soccer. They have built a soccer culture in their community. And, you know, it's more than just the ball. It's just more than tactics. It's more than technique. It's, it's now come full, it's come full uh, circle, and you've got, 25 million people tuning into World Cup soccer in the United States. World Cup. Friends of mine, uh, I shouldn't mention this, but I do play poker. Guys, Nothing wrong with that. These guys are uh, are not soccer f- yeah, yeah. F- fanatics. But they were even into but, it. You know, the last time we played, I was a little bit late. Hey, Tim, 
gee, I watched the World Cup. You know, I never thought that I never thought that a, a zero-zero game could be so uh, so uh, spine by, by, by <laughs> Bill. But but and I watched that game to the end. And I said, well, you were rooting for your home country, yeah, and uh, every touch of the ball is important. Every save is important. You became conversant with corner kicks. Yeah, what happens with the cor- corner kicks? And, you know, throws from the touchline, substitutions. Uh, all of those things played a role in, in that game and throughout the cup. So it, it was an education for a lot of people. But knowing me, I'm a fellow poker player, not a very good one, but in any case... They knew I was connected with soccer, so they became connected with soccer. Now, whether they'll tune into an MLS game, I don't know that. But at least they're a soccer person, you know. And that's worked. That's just one example. But you do the multiplication, do the whatever math, and uh, it, it, it's all it's all the, the result of uh, a lot of people working at the game. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's at a really interesting spot now with um, kind of the different coaches we have around the world and then American coaches and then obviously the amount of American talent that we're putting into some of these European sides and stuff like that. And with how big the sport's growing here, I think that the World Cup in 2026, right, yes. with it being here, I think that's coming at probably the perfect time for it to come because this is – Kind of like you said, even like myself, like I have friends that more so a good amount of girls that I talked with that didn't really play soccer growing up. They played other sports, were never really into it unless they kind of watched us play or they watched with us who were just like talking to me about it, watching on their own. And then other friends who might have played basketball or football in college reaching out, trying to like learn a little bit more about it. So I definitely think it's growing in the right direction. And I'm just really kind of looking forward to see where it goes in 2026. Well, maybe consider this. Uh, where we are here in 2023, mm-hmm. but let's take Sounds a weird player to hear. like uh, uh, Pulisic, yeah. or let's take uh, any number of yeah. good players that are currently on our U.S. team. If they progress, as so many people have, from player to coach, those players that have played in Europe, they have learned another They've learned the nuances of the game. And so if they get into coaching, they're going to bring a whole new set of tools to educate other American players. Yes. So there's going to be a, a, a next step in the elevation of coaching in this country. That's yes. my belief. Uh, because, yeah, it's important to have played. Many of us played. Uh, not maybe as well as we would have liked by today's standards, but we played and we were educated by coaches in many cases that were physical education coaches. They were what we call generalists. They could organize a sport and coach it. They may not have had the degree of expertise that we would expect today, right. but they were also coaching my father coached me in soccer in high school he coached basketball he coached baseball so he had to uh, apply certain principles of coaching to different sports so he did the best he could at soccer but by no means uh, was he uh, I don't think uh, educated trained 
as many of you guys. I mean, you probably have gone to coaching schools yeah. and, and, uh, and upgraded your coaching and learned from some pretty important people that gave you their best. So the evolution of coaching is a whole different ball game. For example, uh, Detmar Kramer came here from Germany, and it's, uh, it's, I devote quite a bit of time to him. Uh, to describing his influence. Uh, and uh, as Bob Bradley said to me, he said, you know, Kramer taught the German philosophy of coaching. It was individual duels all over the field. So you're training uh, individual defense, individual tactics, 1v1 through 3v3. That was a German way of coaching. But today, he said, Sachi, the great uh, Italian coach, introduced the concept of uh, more global defending uh, as a unit, uh, pressing almost like, well, very akin to basketball. You know, uh, those, those, uh, those tactics were introduced into soccer by an Italian. And so the high you, pressing, the man high pressing. Yeah. And so today you'd hardly watch a game where the ball isn't being played out of somebody's defensive third. That evolution has been introduced because our coaches are very cognizant of international trends. And I think it's just going to keep on coming forward. Uh, for sure. So that's a good segue, I guess, into my next question. Um, a book that I have enjoyed and read a few times and is very popular is the, what is it called? It's, I'm drawing a blank. The Pyramid, um, Inverting the Pyramid, right? And so that's basically... A breakdown of the history of football tactics. It seems like your book is more a breakdown of the history of coaching philosophies. So what are some trends that you noticed through the years? Because you said that, you know, your the earliest subject that you had was from the early 1900s all the way up to the most current, which would be Jesse Marsh. Before we started recording, you mentioned that. So what are some of, I guess, the, the trends that you noticed through certain periods of coaching development? Well, I know it's probably news uh, to both of you, but... uh... It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Years ago, you could predict what a team was going to play. They were going to play what was called the WM formation. The W up on top was a center forward, two wide players, we might call them wingers, and two inside forwards. Midfielders, uh, and then in the back, you you, you played the uh, you played the uh, M, which was two more midfielders backed up by three back. You you That's... might simplify it to a three four three. Okay, three four three. Okay, if you can visualize that. Yeah, and so if you played. Uh, in the as I did in the 50s and so on, <clears throat> that's what people played. So one evolution of that, one 
tweaking of that was to to add the three backs. In other words, in the back, it was really just twisted around. You had three more players up on top and just two two backs. Well, two backs had to compete against three forwards, so you had to add somebody in the back. So, without getting too complicated, but that was how until probably. I would say, honestly, maybe the late 50s, early 60s, and particularly with uh, Pele and the, and the Brazilians, when they introduced the 4-2-4, that was revolutionary. Now, it really wasn't 4-2-4. It was probably a little more 4-4-2. But those outside midfielders and outside backs particularly a player like Carlos Alberto was a right back. And uh, with the unfortunate uh, passing of Pele, a lot of people show uh, have shown on, on the Internet a great pass that Pele made to Carlos Alberto coming from way in deep. He laid a ball off. Alberto put it in the upper 90. Alberto was a fullback by those terms. So... All of the 4 4 uh, all of those tweaks. And Anson Dorrance played a 3-4-3 with his women. And, he, always, and uh, <clears throat> he had the three forwards up there, and he wanted to press. And also, he felt that he could press because not many women could play a ball more than 40 or 50 yards accurately. So it was the odds were even if he didn't get the pressure he needed, the resultant pass was going to be picked up by his other players. So I don't know. I've diverted diverted a little bit, but have I answered your question? <laughs> so I guess what I was looking for is like what are some specific things that you noticed about the way coaching philosophies developed over time right from your earliest subject that you had in the book to the most recent so not not formations right just kind of like the way they just coach or the way they kind of the way that they the way that they um you know carry themselves the things that they believe in right the way that they implement uh their coaching style maybe i don't know you you tell me well i think uh in answer to your question um Coaching is is always evolving. You yeah, know, things change. I think uh, I think modern coaches have so many resources to call on uh, from individual technique, little tricks uh, that they notice uh, from individual technique to individual tactics to group tactics to. Uh, how that all is put together through your 11 players, player selection, where to players, where to put players. But coaching is about taking, in my estimation, and I think I'm speaking for an awful lot of people, coaching is about taking the material you have and making the most of it, uh, optimizing the people you have. So how you do that... uh, and I think the missing ingredient for a lot of coaches, maybe yourselves, the psychology. How do you handle kids? I think that is that is a huge piece of 
modern coaching. Everybody, I think, knows tactics, technique. I think everybody knows that can fitness, fitness yes. today. I mean, years ago, fitness was running laps around the field. Okay. Well, you laugh because apparently days. that was you. I mean, I got hit with, yeah, I got hit with that when we were younger, man. Just no sorts of well, sprints changed right okay. the, the classic two-mile fitness test for college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right. Well, that was a barometer of where, where a player was physically in terms of his, his or her fitness. But you ask a question. The, guy, the, the coach, the individual, in my estimation, and the, the uh, uh, memories of many, that revolutionized our coaching was Detmar Kramer. Detmar Kramer was came here in the late 60s and just for a few years organized the first coaching schools. I was coached, as I tried to indicate, I was coached by somebody who somebody else educated and probably not very well in terms of, again, the nuances the, uh, of the game. So Detmar Kramer c- came here. And he gave you and gave coaches a framework. He built the game from its little building blocks of 1v1 to 3v3. And if you understood those concepts that he was teaching you, you could now take those little triangles and you put them on the field however you felt your team could be optimized. So... How you played, the, the formations and all of that is really the result of good coaching, people understanding. I played every formation at Binghamton that you could name. And uh, probably in my last years, we played 3-4-3 because I listened to Anson Dorrance. He made sense. I looked at my team. Yeah, I've got a center forward. I've got two wide players up front. I've got four kids in the midfield, two on the outside that could go forward and backwards, could defend and attack. I've got two center midfielders that are are good in, in terms of technique. They could hold the ball. <clears throat> they knew enough to connect with the defense. They knew enough to lay a go, good ball forward. And the backs, three of them, they were all... Uh, they were all good defenders. And uh, so that is an example of how I think coaches function. So somebody else might take those same players and put them in 4-4-2. Someone else might tweak it and put five midfield. I, I don't ever understand how you play with one center forward, but I guess people do it. It's lonely up there. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, th- that's evolved. Mm, that's yeah, for evolved, sure. Uh, through watching g- great soccer or on television. Think of all the games. Think of all the games. I took two busloads to Philadelphia to view closed circuit television of World <laughs> Cup soccer. Yeah. Think of how many games we were able to watch on World Cup. I mean, that's the evolution of the game. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I know that I was sitting in front of my TV during the entire World Cup. Didn't move. Did not move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've tried to, I've tried to bring to life the the actual personalities, uh, uh, 
Walter Barr, for example, grew up here in Philadelphia, was probably our first superstar in terms of his individual talent. But, of course, there was the marketing, the media wasn't available to promote Walter Barr. His kids became well-promoted because they all became uh, place kickers and earned nice <laughs> livings in the NFL. Yep. So Always an Walter option. Barr himself was a, a superstar uh, and played on our World Cup team in 50, which, of course, uh, had that major upset of England. Yeah. And uh, Walter Barr, Don Yonker, I mentioned at Drexel, uh, uh, Pete Light, Linus, uh, coached the Chiswitzes at uh, at uh, Temple, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, there was a great uh, youth uh, program uh, it was conducted at the Lighthouse Boys Club, where Walter Barr grew up. He learned the game, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, in the book I described. Uh, something he shared with me. Every kid, as they advanced through the Lighthouse Boys Club, say they were now 13 or 14 years old, was assigned to coach a six or seven year old team. So you gave back to the game at a very early age. And uh, he was, Walter Barr was so effusive of, of the impact of the Lighthouse Boys Club. And the Lighthouse Boys Club produced numerous, very good players uh, in those early 50s and so on. So your book is for coaches. What would you tell a coach that is interested in, in purchasing your book, reading your book, is one message that you can take that, that you would send home with them? Um, that little, yes, thank you very much. Well, like what is the main what is the main message behind the book? The, the main message is... <clears throat> it's I, a thick book. I'm going to read it. It's 428 Oh, pages, I'm going to read so it, too. It's not, not going to be digested in a day, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but what is the, the, what is the, the main message is, idea? There's a lot of soccer history uh, that I've tried to uh, share through the eyes of the coaches that I think were influential in the game. It isn't just for, i got to correct you, it isn't just for soccer coaches. I think it's for anybody that's really interested in the history of soccer in this country. Okay. I think it's an important uh, resource to have in your soccer library. And um, uh, I, I think there's some great... I'll just share one story if I could. Go for it. Okay. Here's an example of the evolution of the girls, the women's game. Um, uh, Young coach in the early 80s, the advent of Title IX, of course, that supercharged women's sports, including soccer. She... uh, She's a physical education teacher, and she lives outside Geneva, New York. She sees an ad uh, uh, seeking a women's soccer coach at William Smith College, which was located a few miles from her. She said to herself, well, I, I'm a physical education major. I, can, I have coached soccer, and uh, she applied for the job. She was hired. So a couple of years into her coaching, she's just taking students from the general student body trying to create a team. So she motions to one of her substitutes, says, come up here, I'm going to put you in the game. 
So there's a little delay, and the woman, the young girl is standing next to her and taps her on the shoulder. Says, Coach, which way are we going? <laughs> no. From there. Might need to rewind a bit with her. <laughs> Re- well, okay, I'll use your word. Rewinding yeah. to <laughs> 2022, Alice Ann Wilbur celebrated her 600th win at William Smith College. She's wow. won numerous, not numerous, but she's won a couple at least, Division Three championships. She's built a very competitive team. She relied on a good friend of mine, Graham Ramsey, who uh, is a, a terrific guy. He's like a, a Johnny Appleseed. He moves all around the country, and people will put him up for a few days, and he'll help come and coach your team. And that's what he did for years with William Smith. He would take the team, work with her and the team preseason, and uh, she credits him with giving her the expertise the, the the kickstart to her coaching today. So wow. It's those stories that I think uh, make for a good book. And I hope, as I say, coaches, I think, can benefit because they can learn what happened before them. Uh, people that are interested in the game that I mentioned 25 million a couple times here today, uh, I think they'll find a, an interesting story in there. And so I think it's, I think it could, could be beneficial throughout the soccer community. Okay, so not just coaches, players, parents, fans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm going to crack this thing open as soon as I can. But it is a thick one. It is Relentless by Tim Shum. Yes. Got it Thank right you. that time. Thank you. Where can they buy the book, Tim? Okay. Uh, they can, if, if they, as I said earlier, if they just... Enter relentless on the web uh, and say soccer book relentless. It'll pick up the publisher and uh, where they can buy it. They can buy it. Um, I'll give a phone number 317 352 8200. 317 352 8200. Someone will answer. They'll tell you. And if you use the uh, if you use a coupon code relentless 2022 you'll receive a 25% discount 25% off so there you go i can't get any better than that there's no excuse not to buy the book at this point <laughs> okay thank you guys i appreciate it i appreciate time. you tim yeah. thanks okay. so much it was nice All to right. meet you okay yeah thanks right. tim thank you